Hi, and welcome to the Savvy Social Hour podcast. This show is for female biz babes looking to up-level their business and become rockstar entrepreneurs in no time. I'm your host, Jenny, and I'm so excited to chat with you about today's episode. Let's get right into it. Hey, Savvies. Welcome back to another episode of the Savvy Social Hour podcast. I'm here today with Erica Ashley. Erica is an award-winning entrepreneur, writer, feminist, and TEDx speaker who leverages over a decade of press, branding, and social media marketing experience in her work as a publicist and strategist for entrepreneurs, digital influencers, and small businesses. Her clients have included Grammy-winning bands, celebrities, and entrepreneurs, and you've seen them in Refinery29, Yahoo Style, HGTV, ESPNW, Cosmopolitan, Self Magazine, The Today Show, Brit & Co., and countless other digital and print publications. When she's not helping her clients establish their brand presence or connect with their audience in the press, Erica is probably trying out a new liquid lipstick or watching RuPaul's Drag Race. You've seen Erica in things like Forbes, Nylon, Health, Bustle, Brit & Co., HuffPost, Martha Stewart Weddings, and more. I'm so excited to have Erica here today to chat about scaling your business beyond six figures. So let's dive right in. Hi, Erica. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited that you're here and I cannot wait to chat more about you with building a business beyond six figures. So before we dive into the episode, tell us a little bit about yourself and your business and just really how you got started doing it all. Sure. So thank you so much for having me, first of all. Um, So I've been in business on and off since I was a teenager. I got my very first start and someone paid me for my own creative work for the first time when I was about 15. Um, I used to design MySpace layouts for girls in my school. So Monday they would give me 50 bucks and then Friday they would have a shiny new MySpace layout, like all customized to their needs and wants and interests. So that was my first venture. But my current business started uh, three years ago, so I was waiting for a hip replacement, and I wasn't able to go into work anymore, and I was working as a PR and advocacy coordinator for a not-for-profit, so I had two options. I could either like starve and cry and worry about money all the time, or I could kind of go back to my roots, which was you know making money, but for higher profit margins than you know fifty bucks, which has led me to where I am today. <laughs> well, you you were a you know born and bred entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it came pretty early. That's what happens when you are a sad loser in high school who has no friends. You you learn to code, and then you figure out okay, how can I how can I make the most of this, which for me was lunch money every week? Hey, I mean, you know, I didn't start a job until I was like 16 or 17 and it was in retail. So I think I would have much preferred to do something more so entrepreneurial, but I didn't even know that was like a thing because my parents were like traditional jobs. So I had no idea like that was even a viable option, but yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, And you know, you can technically say you've been in this space for Years and years and years. For 13 years. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, And a lot more than a lot of people can say for that. So let's talk about like scaling your business. How did you get to that point? Like what kind of pushed you over the edge and you're like, I'm going to make this like more than what it is currently? 
Yeah, so the end of 2016, moving into 2017 was kind of rocky in my business. So I didn't have a ton of clients at that point. And I, you know, was making $0. And I had just so over invested in my business in the first year, because everyone's like, invest in your business, it solves all of your problems. Um, if I could go back, I definitely still would invest that I would do it in a way that, you know, didn't put me on the brink of bankruptcy with negative $27 in my bank account. Uh, so I realized that I had to make my business work. So that was really the first step was getting clients inconsistently. And then, um, you know, in five months, I had booked myself out completely with clients. And I said to myself, like, okay, what can I do now to bring in more income? Because I had really hit a plateau. Now I was completely full on clients. I was working with eight people and just didn't have more space. So um, I knew that I needed to do two things. Number one, the next time that I opened up my one-on-one -on -one program, it needed to be like basically triple the price that it had been this time so that I could work with less clients. And uh, number two, the second thing that was really important was that I had to start putting the foundations in place in terms of audience growth, but also growth of my brand so mm -hmm. that I could launch a group program and launch something that leveraged my time uh, a lot better than one-on-one -on -one because it can be quite a, quite draining and quite a lot of work and you want to give so much to your one-on-one -on -one clients, but there kind of has to be a limit as well so that you have time for yourself and to grow your own business. That's very true. And I'm actually at that point where I'm still like doing both. Like I'm doing, oops, I'm doing client work and I'm also like trying to like build courses and things like that. So it's definitely very draining and it's not something that's sustainable long term, but it's good that you were able to kind of like, okay, I'm booked out. Now what else can I do versus like me all over the place doing 17 things at once and hoping that um, my stress doesn't completely take over. Oh, let's like, let's make no mistake. I'm still doing 17 things at once as well. <laughs> but the, the difference is that now when I do something, I try and think about how can I market this or how can I promote this in a way that I don't have to constantly be doing this. So mm -hmm. I just wrapped up, for example, the launch of a group program called Go Pitch Yourself. And I, one of the ways that I got a lot of people into the program, and this is like honest and true, so this isn't fake urgency or just some slimy tactic to get people through the door. I was like, well, I don't want to run a 12-week program like four times a year. Mm -hmm. I want to start being able to put things on evergreen. So I'll run it live one time. And the people who kind of come up with me as I'm creating the content for the program, give me feedback, stuff like that, will get the benefit of getting group sessions with me and getting a lot more of my attention and stuff. And that serves them because obviously they get way more attention with me than they will in the evergreen version of the course where they'll like just have a Facebook group where they can ask me questions. Uh, but it's also way more advantageous for me as well, because giving them all that one on one attention means that I'll at the end of the program, have really amazing testimonials. And that will help me to eventually sell the course on evergreen. So I'm also starting to think about how can the things that I'm doing now like lead to more money for me in the future with less work and effort, because now my focus is on creating course content, but also on creating the funnels so that once the course is wrapped, I just kind of have to turn it on and then I'm tweaking things. I'm not creating again. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to go because like you said, doing it live four times a year is pretty exhausting because, you know, you're working through each different module and, you know, giving them 
the different resources and stuff and then giving you like that access to you um, versus just having the Facebook group where they can ask questions, but you're not always the one who has to answer them. Like other people can chime in if they have the correct answers and things like that. Um, and that's something that I want to implement as well, just because I think in the long run, it's just more sustainable so that I can just, you know, have this run on Evergreen and people join as they join and everything's all ready for them versus me like, okay, here's a drip of the modules. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the big mistakes that service providers and coaches make as they're trying to scale their business. Unless your group program is a signature thing that you offer all the time, and essentially it's the replacement for your one-on-one -on -one because you're making more money from the group program mm -hmm. offer, you really shouldn't be running things live a long, especially a long program that's very drawn out with a lot of support. You really shouldn't be running something like that for more than six weeks and you really shouldn't do it for more than twice a year because otherwise you're going to get really drained and really burnt out. So mm -hmm. run something live like one time and then turn it evergreen or um, start doing some list building three or four months before you're planning to launch a course so that people will actually buy the course yeah. and they will actually purchase it. But then afterwards you can get their feedback, bring your testimony in all that good stuff and this way the majority of your income because you can then start to invest in Facebook ads and things like that where you don't have to be so present in your marketing mm -hmm. your income like slowly starts to build 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 over time because you have it's almost like being in real estate investment you know the more properties that you have the more money you can make because the more you know people that you can resell to or the more tenants that you can have in your property if you only have you know one building and there's four units in the building you're capped out at the rent of four people but if you buy a unit that has 400 people you can make you know the rent for 400 people so it's kind of the the same thing when we get so boxed into one-on-one -on -one, it's kind of like buying that duplex or that quadruplex piece of real estate you can't do more with it than what it is so you have to be thinking about that like long term, how am I going to make money, not just today, but like four, five, six years down the line with solid quality products. Yeah, that's a good way to put it with that analogy. And another thing that kind of like whenever you were talking that came to mind is like when you're launching the same product four times a year, your list kind of gets tired of it. You know what I mean? Like, cause they're like, Oh, she's launching again. Oh, she's launching again. You know, if you're doing the same thing every time it, your list, either they want it or they don't. Um, of course, you're still growing in the process, but your older people who have been there for a while, like, you know, they're kind of like, okay, like, if you know, so that's like another thing that I've kind of thought about. Um, and with it being evergreen, you don't run into that because you're not launching, you know, it's just once you do it live that one time, you can put it into a funnel and then there's that. Yeah, exactly, which is really advantageous. And then there's nothing that's stopping you from doing like a flash sale or something to the portion of your list that hasn't purchased that product. Mm -hmm. You can give them a great discount for 48 hours when you're like trying to reach a new money goal. Let's mm -hmm. say you're a couple of thousand dollars short, like run a flash sale to them. And then just obviously, this is why email segmentation is so important. You just segment out everyone who's already purchased the course and you can have a nice influx of people come in. So also too, when you have things that are evergreen or you have things that are just in your arsenal, you can also use them in different ways. So even if you mostly sell at evergreen, you can run a really like sick deal or bundle your courses 
together and get people who normally wouldn't purchase or wouldn't pull the trigger to actually mm -hmm. come in because it's the right offer at the right time and there's really well-established urgency. Yeah, I think that's a good idea too. Um, I think bundling is really beneficial because, you know, they're getting not two for the price of one, but they're getting, you know, more bang for their buck that way because they're getting multiple different offers um, at a reduced cost that I wouldn't normally be. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good bundle deal. Like I subscribe to a couple of people who email me about three times a year with a bundle deal. Mm -hmm. And I just always say like, okay, well, the price of this one course, because they're mega bundles at a really ridiculous price. So I always say to myself, like, the price of one course is the price of this whole bundle, I would literally be stupid not to just purchase this entire Seriously. bundle. <laughs> you're like, you know, like you're leaving, you're leaving money on the table if you don't purchase it. Basically. Exactly. Like it, it makes no economic sense for you to go out and purchase three courses individually from this bundle. So there's lots of ways that you can do that. And, um, you know, obviously as you move forward in the business world, one of the great things is that you do get to know and you do get to meet people. So you can mm -hmm. also put together like really limited window bundles with someone else's product. So it's like if you have one product and your friend has a complementary product, you could use that same strategy and then just divvy up the money like 50-50 or divvy it up in a way that makes sense based on the normal prices of those courses. Mm -hmm. So you really get to decide, you know, what you want to do and you can have a webinar or you can just announce like, hey, you know, we hang out together all the time. Here's a really cool flash sale. Here's why you should get our things and here's how they'll complement each other. Like you, once you have products and once you have things that you can sell that are not just a coaching package or a service package, like you as a social media manager, once you actually have other stuff under your belt, it opens up so much opportunity for revenue that doesn't exist when you're just, you know, selling your services because you have that really limited window and, uh, you know, you have a time cap on how much you can provide. Exactly. And that, yeah, that's something I'm trying to like work towards. Like, you know, the whole creation process is kind of intense and it's like very draining, but once it's created, all you have to do is make those little tweaks. So, um, you can just like, it's not as, um, you know, you can sell it to as many people as you want and without having to worry about, Oh, you know, I already have max amount of clients. So like building it, in addition to doing the services, that is draining for sure. But once you have it built, like you're pretty much golden because all you have to do is just make those little tweaks. Like for social media, obviously things are going to change over the course of the months or years, but it's not like humongous major changes where I, I would have to rework the entire course. It would just be like adding on some sections, deleting some sections and things like that. Yeah, exactly. And the thing too that I love about having courses now and things that are going to be evergreen is that it also opens me up to uh, marketing on different channels that maybe wouldn't have been so helpful to me before. So uh, for example, Pinterest, when you're selling, you know, a $20,000 coaching package, chances are no one's going to click from your blog post and purchase a $20,000 package from you. It can definitely happen because anything is possible. But it's not very likely people need more time to get to know like and trust you in order for that to happen in most cases yeah so 
that's going to be difficult. But getting someone to purchase like a $97 mini course or even a $997 course directly from Pinterest, it opens me up to having more marketing channels and more ways of bringing in revenue that mm -hmm. just with coaching, I would never you know, I would never be able to have because it wouldn't be feasible to think that someone who has just met me is going to, you know, fork over 20 grand for a coaching package. Exactly. So another thing kind of going on to another form of passive income, do you do any affiliate marketing? Is that part of your strategy? Do, like if it is, you know, do you feel like that helped you kind of grow your business at all? Or is it not really something that you per partake in? So I haven't really partaken in it up until recently. So I have a couple of products that I really, really stand by and that have great affiliate programs. So a good example of this is uh, ConvertKit. That's what I use for my email marketing. I would recommend ConvertKit day in, day out to anybody who asks me, what email provider do you use? Do you like it? So I've always just done really loose affiliate marketing where if someone, if I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm like, hey, actually I have an affiliate link. Like if you decide to sign up, uh, would you be open to using it? But I'm at a point now where because I am starting to get some traffic onto my blog, it just makes sense to start writing about those kinds of products. Same thing mm -hmm. with ClickFunnels. I don't like lead pages. I prefer ClickFunnels because it can do more, even though it's more of an investment and it tends to be kind of what people use now a little bit more than lead pages. So I really believe in ClickFunnels. So being able to write a post about ClickFunnels and the advantages of ClickFunnels is just something I'm already using in my business. So it also just makes sense to share it with my audience as well and why they should get really excited about it too, which is just how I personally have always viewed affiliate marketing. It's like, I'm excited about this. I love this. You should be excited about it too. And here's why. And if I can make some income off of that, then fabulous. It's just an extra, you know, it's just an extra couple of bucks, which pays for a Facebook ad or you know, pays for my subscription to ClickFunnels, um, which is awesome. Yeah. That's the way I feel about affiliate marketing. Like it is a part of my strategy, but it's not something that's like bringing me in mega bucks, but you know, I use ConvertKit too. I'm actually on their support team now. Um, so if you ever email in, you might um, actually get me, but, um, so that is like a really good way to build that affiliate income. Cause you know, if you have a couple people who are on the lowest tier, you get 870 a month from them. Um, for the lifetime of their membership. So, you know, you basically pay for your subscription if you have a couple people signed up underneath you. Um, yeah, exactly. And the, the like beauty of affiliate marketing as well that not enough people talk about, not that I'm an experienced affiliate marketer as we just discussed, but the beauty too with something like ConvertKit is as people's lists grow, you also make more money. So it also incentivizes you to help the people that are kind of in your tribe or in your downline, not to use MLM term, but it is basically like people being in your downline. Yeah. It incentivizes you to help them grow because if they can grow past a thousand people, then you also make more money from them as affiliates. <laughs> so yeah. like affiliate marketing is great because it also incentivizes you or same thing with um, ClickFunnels. If people decide that they need more, I think that's 20 funnels in the basic package. Mm -hmm. If people decide that they need more than 20 because they have a lot of complicated things that they're doing or they have multiple courses, whatever, and they upgrade to the next level of ClickFunnels, then it really makes a huge difference in the amount of income that you're making. 
So I prefer to affiliate for products more than I do courses and things like that. Like Mm -hmm. I just don't believe in being an affiliate for a mega course. Um, I won't name any names, but we (laughs) all know those courses where you get 43 emails about this same (laughs) program in a two week span from different people. I don't believe in, in being a super affiliate for someone like that, but I definitely am not against making, you know, some extra, some extra cash and it can be pretty lucrative once you actually get more people into your pipeline. And if you make just a, a tiny bit of an effort to actually get people into your pipeline. Exactly. And yeah, I prefer services too, because like a lot of the ones that I'm subscribed to, like Teachable, I know, and ConvertKit, they both do, um, you know, 30% on the lifetime of that person, not just like a one-time fee. So it's just, you know, it's a no-brainer for those courses. Usually they run once or twice a year, maybe three times, and you're only making it, you know, those couple times, not every single month. So, and then plus like, you know, what if the course dies one day and no one ever purchases it and then they have all these affiliates and it's like you're promoting this course and you know it's not even like making the amount of sales that it used to because it's just you know not as popular so it's just one of those things with services I think it's um you know you just have make more bang for your buck in the long run yeah exactly I completely I, I completely agree and I also think that Sometimes with courses, there's like a little bit of a bias where if you liked 80% of the course, you're like, yeah, I liked it enough to promote it. But it's like, did you like the only course that I would ever consider promoting is like some of the best courses that I've ever taken that I'm like, whoa, this blows everything that I've ever taken on this subject, like out of the water, then I would be an affiliate for a course happily. But even then you don't want to like, I, I don't want to be an affiliate marketer. Like that's not my job and that that's not what I do. So I also don't want my brand, especially as a brand strategist, to get so saturated by promoting other people's stuff that mm-hmm. people lose insight of like, okay, well, what does she even do? It just seems like she pushes everyone else's stuff all the time. Yeah. Like, does she even have her own offerings or is it just all about everyone else and making money off of their products and services? <laughs> yeah. Which if you're an affiliate marketer, that's amazing because that's your whole business model and that's, you know, that's different. But if that's not your primary revenue stream. You really need to be careful uh, because it's one of the easy things that people think like, oh yeah, I can take advantage of my existing audience and I'm sure some people will want to purchase this, blah, blah, blah. But they can also really experience burnout if you start affiliating and pushing too many things. They're just going to see you as someone who will push anything, mm-hmm. which then degrades like brand trust and brand loyalty for you. Exactly. Yeah. I'm very picky about what I talk about. I usually only talk about convert kit when they have like their webinars and things like that. And of course I just talk about regularly and then I do like the genius bloggers toolkit cause I've been a part of it before. So I'm obviously going to promote it if my products in it. Um, and you know, they do have really great stuff for beginners, but other than that, I try not to, you know, promote too many different things. Cause I think people get like a bad taste in their mouth because they're like, well, you know, is she just doing this to make a buck? Like, what is her end game goal? Yeah, I know. I mean, I even get burnt out. Like, I, I just wrapped up my own launch, and I was getting burnt out on seeing my own emails for my <laughs> own launch come into my inbox. So I think it's one of those things, like, for people who launch all the time, I'm sure this is just a mindset thing that you get over it. But I know that there's a lot of people who launch like one product and it's the only thing that they launch all year and the rest of the year they provide value. So 
your audience, it's not really too much to give them like, you know, maybe 10 sales emails over the course of a year. That's fine. Um, but for people who are just constantly promoting too, like I really am interested to see the back end of their, you know, convert kit or infusion soft or whatever it is <laughs> that they're using. because for every person that subscribes, like, is there a person unsubscribing? That's my question when it's just a constant sales pitch all yeah. the, all the time. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I'm the same way whenever I, I just kind of wrapped up a course launch myself and like, I was like, okay, these emails are getting annoying. And I bet like, if I'm annoyed with them, obviously like people, other people are annoyed. I'm obviously not the only one that's annoyed with them. So, um, I can't imagine like looking at other people's emails and seeing like 7,000 sales pitches, like back to back to back. I think you have to throw in a couple of valuable emails that, you know, actually help people, um, you know, to, balance everything out. Yeah. And I think that's why people are getting so burnt out on email. There's this constant discussion of like emails, dead emails, dead, everything's mobile or everything's chatbots. Mm -hmm. And at the time that we're recording this uh, podcast or anyone who's listening in the future, Facebook froze the connection to create new chatbots right now because they're dealing with some of their mm -hmm. privacy issues. That's like one of the main stories in the world right now. And so if people's whole businesses have relied on chatbots because there are people who build chatbots for a living or whose whole marketing operation functions on chatbots, they can't currently put up new chatbots. So that's why email is like, it's the only thing that you can consistently and 100% of the time rely on. So anyone who is like sleeping on email marketing needs to stop because we've even seen that something that is so lucrative for Facebook in terms of advertising money, they will stop if there is a greater threat or a greater reason for them to stop because it sucks for them. I'm sure they've taken a ding on advertising revenue, but there's no way that people are going to be happy until they solve all the privacy issues that have come up. So again, this is why like you can't just rely on social media. You really have yeah. to treat the people on your email list like, gold all of them have to be like kings and queens to you exactly like it's that's just like more proof um i know like i with the fashion blog community yesterday like reward style um they also announced like the issues with the api and stuff and they're like okay well you can't you can only screenshot photos now you can't just like it and get it to your email anymore that the days of that are over so everyone's like panicking about that too and it's just like this is why i never relied on like it to know it in the first place <laughs> Yeah, well, I saw this morning, too, uh, in a Facebook group that I was in because Instagram is owned by Facebook um, mm -hmm. at the time of recording, and I doubt that that will ever change now, but <laughs> Instagram is currently owned by Facebook, and because of privacy stuff, a lot of people who had API access, so a lot of the stats monitoring apps that people mm -hmm. use for Instagram, were just completely shut out and completely blocked. Yep. Yep. As of like last night at like 7 p.m., I got like a ton of emails from like networks that I'm in for blogging and they're like, we can't access more. So we're not able to like use that, but we're working on making these different things, yada, yada, yada. So it's just like, wow, things can change overnight. So yeah, your website and your email list are basically the only thing you own. So, you know, make those your priority, not social media or, you know, anything like that. 
Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's so funny because uh, my kind of main industry now I work less with uh, coaches, but before in an earlier season of my business, I was working a lot with coaches. And one of the most common pieces of advice for coaches is that you don't actually need a website which I think is total BS. I mean, it's, to be fair, it took me three years to put mine up. So it's not like I did it with any sense of urgency, but like it's up now. And I think it's just so important because you really do realize that all of these social media platforms could be shut down tomorrow. Like government regulation could come in and drastically change the way that Facebook works where mm-hmm. Facebook has to halt its, you know, its advertising operation for six months or it has to, you know, halt its connections to API for six months so that it can iron out some problems, which is exactly what it's done now with chatbots and a lot of these third party places that pull stats and stuff. So you really can't rely on social media marketing as your be all end all. I mean, even for influencers, we saw this with like the YouTube ad apocalypse and notification bell and stuff. I was in my subscription box the other day on YouTube and I completely forgot that I was subscribed to some people who I really, really loved, but Mm -hmm. their algorithm just never showed me those people. And I had completely forgotten that they were people who existed on the planet. So the only really the only way to succeed is with marketing efforts that you control which really is your website your blog your email list that's pretty much it yeah yeah it and it's just one of those things we need to continue drilling into our brains because you know there's still people who don't really realize that like I know there's people fashion bloggers specifically that rely like heavily on email uh affiliate marketing and, you know, on Instagram and now that's gone. So, you know, it's not gone, but it's, they have to re-educate their, um, subscribers or their followers on Instagram to go in and like, uh, screenshot the photo versus just liking it or, you know, following them on the app or whatever. So it's just one of those things. Like, I feel like in any case, you can't really put your, all your eggs in one basket. It's hard to put all your eggs in the affiliate basket. It's hard to put them all in services. It's hard to put it all in courses. Like you need to have a diversity or you're going to get screwed at some point or another, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. And I think definitely too, one of the biggest industries that I'm surprised is not there's a couple of people who are doing this but one of the biggest industries that I'm surprised like we haven't seen a ton of courses yet is for like fashion and beauty influencers because if I was an influencer who had millions of followers if I was a Jaclyn Hill or Desi Perkins or a luster Lux, someone on their level I would definitely have an email list and instead of telling people to subscribe to my channel I'd be like subscribe to my email list so that when I upload a new video, it's going to go straight to your inbox and you'll be notified through push notifications on your phone because everyone has email notifications enabled on their phone. I can't think of a single person that I've ever met that doesn't have push (laughs) notifications for email enabled on their phone. And it just gives them so much more control about their audience watch time. They can put links in emails to affiliate products and things like that in a way that they it can't when they're relying on an algorithm or something like that. Like I'm so surprised that that whole world hasn't just been taken over by, you know, marketing and business development directors that frankly should know better and should know not to rely on 
subscriptions and should know to rely on something like email marketing because I'm sure that they must have learned that in business school. (laughs) Yeah, like the PR people who are managing those big YouTubers and things like that, they should probably advise them like, hey, like this isn't the only way. You should probably, you know, look into this, this and this so that, you know, if YouTube ever does die or whatever, you still have access to all of your people so that you can still contact them versus just them disappearing overnight. Exactly. Well, especially too, with all of these people starting to come out with their own makeup lines and things like that, there's nothing like, you know, Kim Kardashian West and the Kardashians, people give them a lot of crap, but they really did it right because their launches have all been email launches. Mm -hmm. So beauty influencers have a lot to learn from the Kardashians because they did it right. Like anytime that a new product drops, it's in everyone's email and everyone like compulsively refreshes their inbox. So for influencers who are doing collabs and stuff, you may not watch someone's channel for three weeks because you're hella busy with finals, but you're going to open up the email and take two seconds to look at that email mm-hmm. and purchase their collab, you know, especially because a lot of their audiences now skew younger towards the 18 to 22 mm-hmm. demo. So for them, it would be killer because those are people with disposable merchandise. You know, if they're a little bit younger, they have parents who they can beg and beg and beg to, you know, get on there to get on that collab and stuff. So they're really losing so much money by not investing in email marketing. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Just kind of going off on another thing, um, just one more question about scaling your business and then we'll dive into the three questions I ask everyone that comes on the show. But how does someone know when they're ready to scale their business? Like, is it not that there's going to be like a light bulb moment for every single person who gets to that point, but like what for you personally, what happened? And then kind of just what you've seen with your clients and things like that. Like, how do you know when you're ready to take that step and start making more money? So the first thing that you have to do is you have to come up with a process or a methodology that you can take people through from beginning to end and demonstrate that it can get results over and over and over again. So if you're working with clients, but your clients aren't seeing financial results or mindset results or follower growth or whatever it is that you do with your clients, if you're a designer and they're not happy with the end product of the design and you end up stuck in 28 rounds of revision with every single client, clearly something is broken in your process and you need to fix that first. But once you've kind of got that down like a well-oiled machine, so the tactics that you're using are working, that you know, you're booking yourself consistently, the clients that you're getting are exactly the kind of people that you'd want to work with, then you're ready to scale because you have something that Hello? produce. It doesn't really matter what you do make sure it's working first before you try and grow it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. Um, you need to have those systems and processes down before anything because you'll get to a point where if you don't have those systems and processes down, you're going to have to go back and do them. And then it just takes more time in the long run. Yeah, exactly. And if you're making like five, ten, twenty thousand $20,000 a month in your business consistently, that's great for you. But the question is, If you're doing something that requires duplicatable results, so let's say you're a business coach, 
if you can't get your clients to those same results, you need to figure out why your clients are not getting those same results because people are coming to you because they assume that you're going to be able to get them those same results. Mm -hmm. And even though as coaches and consultants, we're not responsible for our clients' results, I think it's also kind of shitty and sleazy for people if you are talking about your high income months and then you can't produce results for them because yeah. you don't really know and you haven't deconstructed how you've gotten there, then it's also just like unethical and kind of sleazy too, which is a problem. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, I mean, obviously, like if you're not making the exact same amount that you are, that's okay, but they should at least be making progress towards a higher goal. If they're just staying at the same income as when they hired you, then it's like, why did they even hire you in the first place? Yeah, if you're telling people that you can help them get to $10,000 months, but your clients are on average saying $5,000 months, then you either need to change your messaging so that it's, I will help you get to consistent $5,000 months, mm -hmm. or you need to figure out what's wrong that your clients are getting stuck at 5000 and not scaling up to ten. Is the program not long enough? Do they not know enough about sales? Uh, you know, it, are strategies that were working for you six months ago not working anymore and that's the problem is that there's a gap now in strategy and you need to think about what you would do if you were at that spot instead of just regurgitating information to them about what they should do that might not be accurate so you mm -hmm. need, really need to do that troubleshooting before you know you move forward yeah no that makes total sense um and yeah so let's dive into the three questions that i ask everyone that comes onto the show so what does it mean for you to be an entrepreneur and what is your favorite part about the whole thing so for me being an entrepreneur is really it's almost like a method to madness for me so i did it because i had no choice mm -hmm. but now i keep doing it because i see it as the end point to a lifestyle that i always dreamed about but never thought that it would be possible for me because I'm not a talented singer, not a talented actress, like not, you know, talented for Broadway and not talented for the smaller big screen. Um, and so the kind of financial freedom that I desired, like I always associated that with Hollywood. Now I can go out and create it for myself, which is amazing. So for me, it's really like a method to a mad, you know, it's the madness to the method or whatever the expression is. It's like, it is an end point for me and it's so fun. And what I love about it the most is that I really get to set my own schedule. So I work a really odd schedule for an entrepreneur. I work from like 6 a.m. until 12 p.m. But <laughs> that's when I'm most productive in the day. If I was in a nine to five, like the afternoon, that's when I watch Netflix. Like that is when my brain just says goodbye for about five hours and then I have a little bit of a second wind after I eat dinner, but that period after lunch, like until dinner, I'm just dead to the world. So I would be the worst employee and the least productive employee of all time. So this way I can structure my whole day around the hours that work best for me. And I can be really you know, mindful of my boundaries and the things that I need so that I have time to live in addition to working. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, a lot of people say that the hours are like their favorite part, but a lot of people are in the opposite schedule like me. I'm like, I'm I am the best in the afternoons and like night. I'm a total night owl, so I like stay up every night really late. But um, you know, I'd prefer to work in the afternoons. I still wake up at a normal time. I just don't 
usually work in the morning, but um, it's just one of those things that's nice to be able to kind of pick your own schedule um, and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So what is the fav- your favorite tool that you use in your business? This can be like a software or even just like your, if you have like a planner or something that like really helps you, just what is like the one thing or two or three things that are just like, I, if I didn't have this in my business, I don't know what I would do. So I think there's two things. Number one is my Google calendar because I live and die by my Google calendar. It has literally everything in there from like the time that I listen to my hypnotherapy audio every day to like reminders to eat because when I wouldn't schedule reminders for myself to eat, I would end up booking clients or booking other appointments during my lunch hour and it would hit 10 o'clock at night and I was still working. So I live and breathe by my calendar, could not live, uh, could not live without it. God forbid Google should ever go down. I'm going to be in really big trouble because uh, <laughs> that's my whole life. And then I think the second thing that for me has been really, really crucial to my business has actually been Zoom. So Zoom is what I run all of my client calls on, but it's also how I network with other people. And I know that there's free options like Skype where you can interface with people, but the quality on Skype is just so terrible. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but the quality of Skype has, at least in my experience or with the internet that I have, I don't know, it is just terrible and people end up being pixelated and it's an awful experience. For Zoom, I can run webinars on that. I can talk to clients. I can, you know, meet with potential clients. I can meet with, uh, you know, people that I want to interview for an article or for a PR opportunity. Like, it is just one of the most versatile things that I use, and I use it pretty much uh, almost as much as my Google Calendar because I'm constantly in meetings all day long. So it's, it's always open, and I'm hopping from chat to chat. Yeah, I, I love Zoom too. This is actually what we're recording this podcast on right now. And it's it's been a lifesaver for me. I didn't use it as much until I got had, like started this podcast, but I use it like once a week, more probably more than that now um, with my conferred kit uh, position. But um, it's really beneficial because, you know, you're able to chat with people, you're able to record it. Um, you know, if you have like a mastermind group you're meeting with, you can record everything and then whoever wasn't able to make it can watch it later. It's just like a really great feature. And I know Skype doesn't have any like auto recording built in. So you have to like do something with another um, application. It's just kind of bulky. So. Yeah. And I love it. I can, because for people like me who, if I don't have a checklist, half of the things that I need to do are, are just not going to get done. Um, I can set the settings in Zoom so that it automatically starts recording as soon as I hop on the line. So I don't need to worry about that. I can just be confident that it's going to record and I don't have to think about it. And then, like you said, Skype just doesn't have all the features that you need because sometimes you say something really amazing in a podcast interview or a mastermind call with your biz besties and you're like, oh, what was that thing that I said? <laughs> Zoom prevents you from having that problem because you can just go back and listen to it. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely awesome. And then lastly, who is your go-to business resource? Like the person that you, not that you look up to, but someone that you just feel like has like the keys to it all and you know you really feel inspired by pretty much everything they do 
so marriage is going to be a little bit of a cliche answer. I don't know. But for me, uh, the person that I look up to a lot is Sophia M. Russo. I think just because she really came up similar to how I did. I don't have a formalized business degree or anything like that. I worked in business before. Um, but I love that she was able to take something out of nothing. And where I really started following her and you know, really falling in love with her as a businesswoman was um, when Nastiel actually shut down and she had to you know, rebuild and come up with something else to do because Nastiel filed for Chapter 11. So mm-hmm. I really loved seeing how vulnerable and candid and open she was. And even in the rallies that she's done since then, she talked about the fact that like, it's not perfect. And a lot of the time she really doesn't know what she's doing. And it makes me feel slightly better that a woman who, you know, runs a multi-million dollar company with venture capital funding also is just trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's definitely one of those things. A lot of people that are at that level don't really admit to their struggles because they just, I don't know why they don't, they just don't. It's I guess, cause they don't feel comfortable doing it, but it's just really nice. Like, when people who are making it big are able to own up to both their successes and their failures publicly. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's really inspiring and it's something that I've tried to bring into my brand. I mean, yesterday I did a live stream on my personal Facebook page where I cried mid live stream and talked about how I was having a shitty day yesterday. And it's something that I think we need to foster more because I think that there's a lot of fear of failure in the entrepreneurial community. And I think outside of it being just like a human to human problem, we're afraid to admit that we're not doing well. Mm -hmm. I think it's even worse because we never see people's struggles in the moment. It's always afterwards that we find out that they were like dead broke or something. And it doesn't have the same effect when that's the situation that you're in Mm -hmm. as you know, six months later, as it does when it's happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that we, we need to move towards more of that rawness and honesty and just, you know, admitting that we're not perfect. Being entrepreneurs doesn't somehow absolve us from a cloud of shame or failure or insecurity. And I think people need to start showing that side more because it portrays more of a realistic sense of what it's like to actually have a business. I wish it was all sparkles and rainbows, but (laughs) it's definitely not. No. Yeah. I know. Like a lot of people do because they see it online. They do think that it's how it is, but it's, it's not. A lot of people just don't voice their struggles because they want to come, not that they want to come off as perfect, but I think they're scared to share their struggles because they don't want people to think that they, you know, they're going through something right now. And, you know, they want people to think that everything is all happy and good versus, you know, going through the struggles. But I try to be real and open and say like, today I'm not having a good day or I'm not having a good week or a good month. And that's okay. Like we're going to go through these periods of time where we have our struggles. Like when I first started my business, it was definitely difficult. Like my first month full time, I probably, I think I made like $700 and that's like after, I mean, before taxes. (laughs) So it was, it was just really bad. And like a lot of people wouldn't be willing to admit that because they, you know, they don't feel like comfortable with it. But for me, I'm like, I have been at low income months and I'm finally getting to the point where I'm feeling confident in my income and I know it can still be better, but it's just like one of those things that we need to own up to and not pretend that we're all making 10K months when we're not. Yeah, exactly. And I think that one of the things too that we need to remember 
is that when you actually open up and when you ask for help from other people or like when you just tell people that you're going through a rough time, that's when people will come out of the woodwork to help you. And that's when people will present themselves who have never actually shown up for you before and that you may not even remember that they exist. Like when I was going through that rough period in my business that we talked about before, where I had like negative $27 in my bank account, part of the reason why I was able to get back on my feet again is because I admitted that out loud to people. And that opened the floodgates for so many people to be like, I know she's having a difficult time. So if I see anything that I'm remotely confident that she can do, I'm going to tag her in a Facebook post. I'm going to put her in a message with that person and introduce her because I want to help her out and I want to see her succeed. But people can't help you if they don't know that something is wrong, which isn't just good advice for business. It's just good advice for life in general. Mm -hmm. If people are not mind readers, if you don't tell them that something's wrong, they will have no idea most of the time. Exactly. Yeah. Just like being able to share, like that is such a good thing. Cause like you said, people will tag you. Like if they're not going to be like, Oh, they won't turn your back on you. I think people are willing to help, but they just have to know how they can help. Exactly. And sometimes something as simple as a tag can turn into a client when you've been in a dry spell for months. So every little bit, helps and there's no obligation to share everything or every single failure or every single triumph either but it's about being selective and remembering that your audience will connect with you when you're a human you don't need to be this you know perfect robot person who crushes it every single day yes 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 and yes and and with that um share your social media your website with everyone so that they can know where to find you Sure. So my website is ericaashley.co and you can find me all across social media at the same handle is at it's Erica Ashley. So feel free to follow me. Feel free to message me. I'm like always happy to talk to people. I love talking to people on social media. It is one of my favorite things to do. And if you are a fellow Drag Race fan, feel free to tweet me on Thursday nights with thoughts about what's happening on the episode. I always love talking to people about what's going on on Drag Race. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being a guest. I have enjoyed talking to you. Um, another wonderful conversation as always. Um, I didn't mention this before, but Erica has coached me two times before and she's always been a joy. And I just knew I wanted to have her as a guest on the podcast because I knew you guys would benefit from it. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. It's been a, such a joy and such an honor. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. You can find all the details from this episode by going to www.savvysocialhour.com slash episode 41. Make sure to join the Savvy Social Media Babes community Facebook group for daily prompts, updates on the podcast, and more. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. You can find us on the web at www.savvysocialhour.com. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Savvy Social Hour and like our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Savvy Social Hour. New episodes will be released every single Tuesday and Thursday. See you next time.